0: So as Daryl said, Monday is uh, Veterans Day. And I think it, it's one of those uh, days that we, we can easily move past and not think too much about. And I would like just to take a moment to uh, extend a time of prayer for those veterans that have served. And obviously we're thankful for all the veterans that have served but pray specifically for those veterans who have come back and um, have suffered not only physical uh, injuries, but uh, mental struggles. And it's been a real problem and it continues to be. And I would like to just take a moment and just pray for some. We have some in our uh, community that have come back, and I think it would be good for us just to Lift them up before the Lord. Lift them up and their families up before the Lord. Uh, Would you join me as as I lead us in prayer? Uh, I think it would be pleasing to God if we do this right now. Father, we thank you for the many men and women who have gone to serve uh, us. And sometimes not understanding or knowing what they were committing to, but willingly going. And we know that there are many that have given their lives for the freedom that we have. We pray, Father, for those who have come back, those who have been wounded, those who are living very different lives today because of their experience on the battlefield. We pray for their families as they seek to make it sometimes, as they seek to live life very differently, we ask for your grace and mercy in their lives. We pray for those who are suffering from emotional and mental illness, sickness, those who are struggling just to make it day by day, whether it's because of the pain or the memories. We ask, Father, for your help. We ask that you would be a very close help in their time of need. Many times when they come home, they're um, cheered, but yet now the voices have quieted and they're left to their own struggles we would ask that you would lift them today and encourage them that they would get the help that they need whether it's physical or emotional counseling that you would help their families and extended families as they seek to reach out not understanding not knowing often how to help that you would just come alongside of them father and that uh, they would get the help that they need. We pray, Father, that uh, if they don't know you, your love and grace, that uh, that would be uh, a way for them to find not just relief, but hope. And, Father, we ask that you would work in each life uh, your perfect will. And if we know of someone, Father, close to us or near us, may we reach out with love and just affirm them and help them this week. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. We're going through the book of Second Corinthians this morning, and uh, I want to read just one verse because Paul says something, and he ta- he's talking about what is it like for a church to be balanced in, in a number of different areas. So he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Since you excel in so many ways, and then notice he lists them, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and you have love from us, I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. So he's basically saying, here's all the areas that I really want you to excel in and have balance in that. Um, Paul's excited about their their faith, their teaching, their enthusiasm, and then he says, "Now I want you to excel in your giving." Now we want to look at uh, a little. If you haven't figured this out, yes, the pastor is going to talk about money this morning, and so buckle up, okay? Uh, but why why do pastors why do pastors talk about money? Why should they talk about money? There's a number of reasons. Number one because many of us worry and fret a lot too much about money i mean many of you if you're honest when you came in here a lot of your last week or last month is how am i going to pay that bill where the money going to come from and you worry about it you fret about it and that's part of life Uh, secondly jesus talked a lot about money he talked told parables about money he said where your treasure is there your heart will be so jesus talked about it. now why do you think jesus talked about it so much because we worry and fret about it so much and he's he's dealing with areas that are really down to earth where the rubber meets the road with us and then did you know this by the way that the bible talks more about money than it does there's more verses that uh, about money twice as many verses about money as there are about uh faith and prayer (laughs) So, so it just goes to show you um, and, and the other thing is, there's going to be very little significant spiritual growth in your life until you put money and what you think about money in God's hands. Until you put what you think about money and money in what in God's hands. Until you figure that out, you're going to struggle in your spiritual growth. Um, but here's the here's the here's the the where the the rubbing point. Is We live in a culture where pastors abuse this and churches abuse this and people don't want pastors to talk about money But you know what the the Bible has called me and God has called me to preach the whole council Not to skip over the parts that might be controversial or might make us a little uneasy And uh, we're going through the book of 2nd Corinthians and actually as we'll see in the book of 2nd Corinthians That's a kind of the occasion one of the occasions of why Paul wrote 2nd Corinthians We'll see that in a moment. So let me give you a quick overview of the book of 2 Corinthians. If you're reading through the Bible this year, we're going through, and we're in 2 Corinthians right now. So if, if you are up to, to speed, let me just give you a little background of uh, 2 Corinthians. Many times when Paul wrote letters, he wrote them to Christians or churches in cities. So obviously, 2 Corinthians is written to Christians in the city of Corinth, an ancient city. Uh, Paul was living at that time in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, and he lived there for three years. And so Paul basically wrote the letter 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians while he was in Ephesus. Now, interestingly enough, we looked at 1 Corinthians last week. Now, it's going to get a little confusing here, so stick with me. Last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians. That's actually 2 Corinthians, because in 1 Corinthians, Paul spoke about a previous letter that he wrote to them that we don't have a record of. So if Paul wrote a previous letter before 1 Corinthians, that makes 1 Corinthians 2 Corinthians, okay? So in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about a severe letter that he sent after 1 Corinthians, which is really 2 Corinthians, which would make the severe letter 3 Corinthians, which would make 2 Corinthians 4 Corinthians. You got it. There, you're with me, right? Now, we only have 2nd and 4th Corinthians or 1st and 2nd Corinthians, okay? So we're going to look at 4th Corinthians or 2nd Corinthians, all right? So now that you're totally confused with all of that, the, the whole point is, here's, here's kind of the scenario. Paul basically wrote a letter to uh, Corinth, and um, it wasn't well received, uh, so... Uh, he wrote 1 Corinthians to them, and they didn't receive that well, so he visited them, and he was humiliated on his visit. He was absolutely humiliated. So we looked at 1 Corinthians last week, and he went there. He was pretty severe with them. He visited them, and then he wrote them what he calls in 2 Corinthians a severe letter. Now, as he, after he wrote the severe letter, the, the Corinthians really repented. And He was up in Macedonia and in Macedonia. He was On Paul's journey this missionary journey that he was on He was going to all the the churches and he was gathering an offering because the the Christians in Jerusalem the church in Jerusalem had gone through a severe famine and he was taking an offering as he was going through So he was in Macedonia and gathering his offering as he was in Macedonia as he left Ephesus and went to Macedonia Titus who was part of the church at Corinth came up and he told Paul that this severe letter that he sent had really done its job and the people had repented so Paul really rejoiced he was so happy and so he sent a letter 2 Corinthians 4 Corinthians with Titus back to Ephesus or back to Corinth and uh, basically, in this letter, Paul basically challenges them to prepare an offering so that when he came to visit them, he could take that offering with the offering of the Macedonians back to Jerusalem to help the Christians there. All right, so that's kind of what's going on in 2 Corinthians. That's kind of the, the 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Paul's kind of dealing with the Christians at Corinth. And, you know, sometimes you'll take a whole class in a seminary just to go through all of this stuff. And we just did it, and I've totally confused you in, in a matter of seconds. Uh, but here's a quick outline. In chapter, and, and you'll find Second Corinthians is Paul, one of Paul's most pastoral epistles. He really opens up. He really reveals himself to people. He really shares his heart. And in chapters uh, 1 through 7, he describes what the privileges and responsibilities are of anyone who would lead a church. In chapters 8 and 9, he discusses this offering that he's taking. And he's describing the, the offering as he's gathering it in, with the Christians in Macedonia. And he's telling them, now you get ready because when I come, I want you to have the offering ready so I could take it to the Christians that are suffering in Jerusalem. And then the last part of the letter, Paul basically gives a really an open view of his heart and his ministry and what he's been through. Now this weekend we want to focus on generosity, because Paul uses that in chapters eight and nine of Second Corinthians a lot. He talks about generosity a lot. And uh, I, that's what I really want to focus on this morning is generosity. And I think what Paul basically is saying is one of the marks of truly a mature Christian and a mature community of believers is that they're generous. They're generous. So what are some of the principles that Paul lays out about generosity in chapters 8 and 9? We're going to just go very quickly through these principles. The first one is this, and this is found in chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. And that is this, being generous is proof that you have experienced the grace of God. Notice what he says. This is chapter 8, verse 1. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested By many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they give not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did—they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord. And to us, just as God wanted them to do. So, this, as you read through this, he's talking about the people that are giving in Macedonia, where he is right now, and he says, they gave more than they could afford. And it, it seems so counterintuitive. It's, <laughs> he says, they not, only give, they, they not only gave what they could, they gave what they couldn't give. And they begged me to give more. And it's like, this is so counterintuitive to our modern day culture. Um, they gave sacrificially, they gave with abundant joy. They, they begged Paul to give. And, and they saw this as not a duty, but a privilege. They saw it as a privilege. Now, how can that be? Well, I think the key is in the last part of that, chapter, that passage I read. It said they gave themselves to God first. And see, I think that's really what it comes down to. If we're going to be generous Christians, if, we're going to be, if the generosity is going to be part of who we are, we have to give ourselves first to God. And what I, what I think he means by that is this. I think we have to say, okay, God, everything that I am and everything that I have belongs to you. Now, what would you want me to do with that? My time, my talent, and my money. What, what would you want me to do? Have you ever asked that question about what you have, what God has given you? Uh, have you ever said, God, this is yours. Now, first, I give myself to you, and then then you can decide what you want to do with me and with what I have. And, and I think that's the key there, that they gave themselves to God. Uh, they didn't have much to give, but they gave what they had. Uh, many times, uh, as churches, we tend to try to motivate people because... We say, well, we have to give them a, a legitimate need to give. We have to show them a child that's, uh, that's hungry, or we have to show a real... And, 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 and that's really, you know, that's one way to motivate people. But the best motivation of all is to say that you're giving because you understand that everything that you have and everything you are is a gift from God, and you're merely the steward. And you're just open to God's Spirit, and you're saying, God, I'm going to give myself to you. Now, what would you have me to give? Because you've given so much to me. And so I think that's the first principle, that uh, being generous is a a sign that you understand you have received the grace of God. Secondly, being generous has been demonstrated to us by our Lord Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Notice he says this in verse 9. You know the gracious. He uses the word gracious all through these chapters. You know that... excuse me, generous. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you could be made rich. Uh, Part of our problem... I think in in the way that we can be stingy or we can kind of hold on to things with our hands closed is that we have not understood the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when we become followers of Jesus Christ that we become his children. We become uh, God's, uh, God's our father, Jesus is our brother and we have all the riches of heaven. And I think that the struggle is do we really believe that? And do we understand what it cost Jesus to provide that for us? That he gave up his riches so that we could become rich that he became poor that he emptied himself when we forget and and I think it comes down to this too I think that it's easy for us to forget the debt that we owed you know we, we owe we owe such a great debt that we could not pay and we had no chance of paying it and here Jesus came in and paid the debt completely in full paid in full Jesus said the last words on the cross when he hung on the cross for us. He said it is finished Paid in full our debt's been paid And I think one of the reasons that we're not more generous is because we have failed to understand our Incredible debt and the one who came and paid that debt for us that he gave up everything for us When we begin to focus on that and reflect upon that it can't help but break our hearts Paul says though that his actions by his actions we have been made rich and I think that we have to get out of this mindset that it really comes down to this. This is really the rub of faith, I think, in our lives. We, do we really believe that God loves us and God cares for us and God will provide for us? Or do we say, you know what? I have better faith when I have money in the bank and my closets are full and my pantry is full. My faith is better then. And, and, and the answer is, I don't think that helps our faith. I think we have to come to a place where we say, I truly believe that knowing Jesus and knowing that I'm loved by him, knowing that I'm secure through him, knowing that he can satisfy my every desire and my every need, knowing that and believing that is is what I, I, I hold on to rather than saying, but I need this and I need this and I need this. It's really what it comes down to. It's really a struggle. And I I don't know any person that steps from one place of saying, I need these things in the world. I need these things in my life uh, to be happy, to be satisfied, to be significant. And now, oh, now that I know Jesus, I don't need those anymore. I don't even struggle with those anymore. Rarely is that the case. It's usually a slow struggle. And we have to get to the place where we say, Jesus, it's a faith thing. I trust you. I trust you with this. So that's uh, the second thing. The third thing is this: that Jesus became—he emptied himself. He became poor for us, so that we could become rich. Being generous, though, number three, is willingly—it's uh, willing to—it's sh- willingly sharing what you have with others. Notice what he says in verse six through eight of chapter nine. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and do not give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Let me just stop there for a minute. Many times that's what pastors and churches have done. They say, you need to give now, you need to do this, you need to. they want you to feel guilty, they want you to feel pressured. And you know what? You should not feel pressured, and you shouldn't feel guilty. That should, that's one of the lowest motivators that we could ever give a person to give. You should give because you're grateful. You should give because you understand that you're a steward of what he's given you. And, and that's a whole different motivation. Uh, and then he goes on to say this. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Now, I think one of the struggles we have in this life is this. We think that when we have more than we need, it's for us. And I think I want to change your mindset on that. It may be, and I'm going to suggest this, that it may be that when you have more than enough, it's not for you, it's for others. That God wants you to share that with others when you get a promotion when you get a little extra more you 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 maybe you need to say you know what 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 does God want me to do with this is this is there's a need out there that God wants me to meet through this extra that he's given to me I don't know but I'm just asking that question you know the early church listen some people say well I wish we could go back to those days of the early church where everybody loved each other and everybody got along we're in Corinthians, right? <laughs> we talked about Corinthians last week. They didn't get along. And, you know, here Paul is going back and forth with them. You talk about the struggle that Paul had with Barnabas. Talk about the struggle that Paul had with Peter. I mean, this, there were issues in the early church because there were people in the early church, just like there is tr- issues today and just like there's people today. So the, the, there's no era of the church where the, ch- where, where the church is perfect or it's great and everybody's getting along. It just doesn't happen. But one of the early things, the, the early church was true of the early churches. They were very persecuted, but they were known for a couple of things. They were known because they really reached out to the people who are marginalized in society, the people that society gave up on, they didn't care about, the poor, the sick. They cared for the poor and the sick. They were generous too. There's a phrase, and I don't have time to read it all. This is from a very old Diogenes Uh, it's probably 80, 130 to somewhere around 200. It's a very early description of Christians, and it's kind of a secular description. And he's describing what he's seen of Christian, of these Christian communities. And he uses one phrase that it's just, I just read it a number of years ago, and I thought, this is so capitalized, uh, the, 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 the Christian and what the Christian witness ought to be. And he says this, he's describing Christians, and he says, they have a common table but not a common bed. Now that's telling because what he's saying there is these people don't sleep around, they're moral people. But they have an open table. They're generous to others. They always have another chair at the table. They always have another seat, but not in their beds. And so they were known to be morally upright, They were known to be generous. I just love that balance. I think that's just such a fantastic. And he goes on to describe other things about them, but that's the one that just strikes me that they were they were morally pure. They were striving to be pure, and they were striving to this moral standard. But they are also very generous to the marginalized of their society. See, generous people who have been moved by the gospel, they don't need to be guilty to give. They don't need to feel pressured to share. It's an honor and a delight. They aren't reluctant in meeting the needs of others. They're ready and willing. They believe that God will care for them so that they can care for others. When they have a surplus, they share it with others. That's part of what it means to be generous. My my prayer for this community, this faith community we call Hope Church, is that we would be known as a generous community. That we wouldn't be seen as trying to take from this community, but we would be seen as trying to give to this community. That we would be seen as generous and not stingy. Point four being generous causes people to give praise to God. Look at verses 9 and 10 of chapter 9, or 10 and 12 of chapter 9. For God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. Now, let me just stop there for a minute. And I know I'm stopping in the middle, but I just want to reiterate, there's a generosity, prosperity gospel going out today that says you need to give. And the reason you need to... And I'm hearing a stupid... This stupid advertisement about a pastor that's found some investment formula. Please don't invest in this. Don't give him money. Okay? It just irritates me when I hear that commercial. One of the worst reasons you could ever give is to say, God, I'm going to give you this money because then you're going to multiply it and give me more money. What does it say here is if you're generous? What does it say? It says, it says this, He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. And then what does He say? Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be what? Rich? No generous. In other words, God says, I'll make you, I'll, if you're generous, I will take care of you so, even more than what you need so that you could be even more generous. God always gives us more, not so that we can spend it on ourselves, but so we can spend it on others. And then he says this, here's the great result. And when you take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from the ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. In other words, what Paul's saying here is two good things happen. One is that the, 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 the specific need of the person will be met. And number two, they'll give praise to God. Jesus said, let your light shine before men so they will see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. Can you imagine if we began to individually and corporately be generous to this community, and they said, you know what? Let's praise God for that church. See, the results of living out the implications of the gospel is that that people will begin to praise God. As we're more generous, more people will give praise to God. The results of being generous to the needy is that their needs will be met and God will be praised. Here's the fifth reason we'll close with this. Being generous is fueled by a deep appreciation for the grace of the gospel. And Paul says this in verses 13 through 15 of chapter 9. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for, you gener- for, for your generosity to them. And all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for, uh, for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace that God has given you. And then he says this, Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. And I think that phrase is so incredibly important to any hope that we have to be generous. He, what Paul Paul comes to a place where he just begins to reflect on the gospel, and he begins to reflect on the cross, and he begins he just says he says thank God for this gift too wonderful for words, and that's what will happen. I think the reason that we're the reason that we're not forgiving of others is because we haven't reflected on the cross enough. I think the reason that we're not gracious with people. We don't give them a break is because we have not reflected on the cross enough I think the reason we're not generous Is because we have not reflected on the cross When we reflect on the cross and we see our debt and we see our need and we see our sin and yet we see we're loved We're cared for and we, and we understand that we look at people differently. We, we're not judgmental We say that was me. I was a sinner. I was lost we say, I could be generous because he was generous to me. I, have, I owe him everything. I, I would do. And by the way, let me just say this. When you are giving, you, you can say, well, I'm giving to this, or I'm giving to this church, or I'm giving to this person. But ultimately, you're giving to him. It's an expression of worship to him. You're saying, God, I'll never repay you, and I'm not trying to repay you. But boy, I'd love to be part of what you're doing in this world. To help other people know who you are. And so Paul basically begins to meditate and think about this grace and mercy that he's received. And he just says, How amazing is that grace? And when, you be, when that starts to break your heart, it's, it's hard not to be forgiving. It's hard not to be gracious with people. It's hard not to, 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 be, to, to be generous. It just, it just, it's just a natural outflowing of reflection on the gospel. In other words, what I'm saying is, as we experience the generosity of the gospel, we will find ourselves becoming more gracious, more merciful, more forgiving, and more generous to others. But it all begins, I think, with an appreciation of the gospel. So Paul comes to this church and he says to them, Hey, a balanced church, you have to have solid teaching. You have to have an enthusiasm and a desire to love one another. Uh, And he talks about that in Corinth. And he says, You're doing well here, you're doing well here. Now let's just be let's be generous with one another. Let's, let's be generous. Let's let's throw a lot of forgiveness around and a lot of grace around with each other. Let's let's allow let's let's allow let's overlook sins of others in a sense when they say things that we could be offended. Let's just overlook that and, and let's be generous with each other. Let's serve one another. Paul says when we do that, when we, we have that kind of generosity, it'll make a big difference. So Paul says to this church in, in Corinth, he says I'm going to come, and I'm going to... I just told you about what the Macedonians... They're, they're giving out of their minds. i had got to tell them to stop. <laughs> they're crazy givers. Now, when I come down there, just be ready with a gift, right? <laughs> it's like they're knuckleheads. They just don't know when to stop. And, and I can't shut their generosity off because they're so grateful for what God has done in their lives. And I think the same is true. When we understand what God has done in our lives... We become some of the most generous people because why? Our Father is generous and we become more like our Father. We can't help but becoming generous. May God help us be a generous community of followers of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, help us because without this, this is not a matter of trying harder, it's not a matter of following some plan or uh, you know, keeping the points of a sermon. It's really more, Father, about your spirit getting a hold of our heart and, uh, and us just sitting quietly at the cross, just reflecting on how we are so loved and how we are sinners beyond our, our wildest w- willingness to even come to grips with. But we're loved beyond our greatest dreams. And Father, thank you for the gospel that helps us to understand that we are loved. We are sinners, but we are loved. And there's enough grace and enough mercy and enough forgiveness and enough graciousness for us to reflect upon that it will truly change our hearts and how we relate to one another and how we worship you. May we be known as a church that is enthusiastic, that we love one another, that we are obedient to your word as it's taught, and that we are generous. And may the world around us, specifically our community, see the generosity of this community and be directed to you and give praise to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.